Welcome to True Crime Works, a true crime podcast. This is episode 5, Christiana Edmonds, aka the Chocolate Cream Killer. Welcome back to True Crime Works, everyone. In today's episode, we are going to be talking about Christiana Edmonds, aka the Chocolate Cream Killer. I remember hearing about this case a long time ago, and I knew when I started a true crime podcast, I absolutely had to cover it. There's just so much to unpack with it, and it just doesn't make any sense. You'll see later what I'm talking about. So let's go ahead and get started with this. Christiana Edmonds was born in 1829 in Margate, Kent, England, to a successful architect named William Edmonds and Anne Christiana Byrne, who happened to be the daughter of a Royal Marines captain. She was privileged from birth and grew up in the comfort of an upper-middle-class lifestyle in Victorian England. Her childhood was definitely one of luxury. She grew up in one of the nicest and largest homes in Holly Square, which is an upscale neighborhood just minutes from the sea. Her family actually had three servants at their disposal, and their children attended the most exclusive private schools available. Christiana was described as a pretty and intelligent child. Her good looks would follow her into adulthood. At her trial, she was described as, quote, a lady of fortune, tall, fair, handsome, and extremely prepossessing in demeanor, end quote. Christiana became familiar with death at a young age. She was the oldest of five living children, but her parents had lost two additional babies in infancy, sadly. Christiana was only five years old and seven years old, respectively, when she witnessed the deaths of her baby siblings. And this likely influenced her in a grave way. Now, in addition to the death of her siblings, Christiana's parents struggled with mental illness. And back in these times, it was pretty taboo and also not much was known about mental illness either. Her father, William, as I mentioned before, he was a successful and celebrated architect, but he would burst into violent and manic rages. When Christiana was just 15 years old, her father's anger was out of control. This is when her mother, Anne, took matters into her own hands. And she would explain that, these are her words, and there are some words I do not like in here, but it's her quote. Quote, In 1843, my husband became insane and was sent to a private lunatic asylum at South Hall, where he was confined till August 1844, end quote. William only remained at home for a year following his release when he was sent back to Peckham Lunatic Asylum, which is what it was called. He would remain in various asylums for the rest of his life, well into Christiana's adulthood. So these are her formative years, and her dad is really struggling with mental illness 
and no one seems to be able to help because they either don't know anything about it or it's so taboo, but it's really a sad situation. What's also sad is Christiana and her siblings seem to inherit the struggles of their father. In her 20s, Christiana was diagnosed with hysteria, which is just a term they used for any kind of mental illness. It was kind of like the end-all be-all. And this was likely due to her high sensitivity and unpredictable emotional spurts. Her brother was sent to Ursfield Asylum in London for his own mental illnesses. And that is where he passed away. And this was in his early adulthood. Even more sadly, her sister, her younger sister, committed suicide around the same time. Marriage was a big deal for young women around this time. Christiana was now in her 30s. She was unmarried and didn't have any prospects. So she moved in with her widowed mother to Brighton, a seaside town in England. And this is where she would soon commit a series of poisonings that were so calculated and sadistic that they would continue to haunt the small ocean town and even the world over a hundred years later. It was in this new neighborhood that Christiana would meet the man that would change her life forever. His name was Dr. Charles Beard. He was a neighbor and local doctor. She was drawn to his charm and upper-class lifestyle right away. She quickly started a friendship with this doctor. But that was not enough for her because she really wanted to marry him. Not long into their friendship, she began writing him passionate love letters. Now, at the beginning, he would respond to letters. And by all accounts, he did not encourage the romantic part of it. But he was just being a nice person, it seemed like. There was nothing sinister on his part happening. He was just being friendly because he was a married man and it was clear he was unwilling to engage in a relationship beyond friendship and letters. She attempted to get things a little physical with him, but he always would turn her down. Edmonds, however, was relentless in her pursuit of the doctor. She made it pretty obvious, too. She would find every excuse to run into him around town, and she even scheduled appointments at his clinic when she didn't need medical attention, and she continued writing the letters to him. Now, Dr. Beard started to get a little worried at this point, he realized that maybe she's becoming unraveled. This is not what I want. I was just trying to be nice. He was afraid of ruining his reputation. And he was afraid that there would be rumors of an extramarital affair. So he did his best to try and cut ties with the woman. 
he insisted that she no longer write to him. And according to court records, he told her, quote, this correspondence must cease. It is no good for either of us, end quote. Well, Christiana did not like this. She did not take no for an answer. She didn't have to work because she was a wealthy woman. So she had a lot of time on her own and she was pretty bored and she was pretty focused on this man. She spent a lot of time focusing on him. In fact, pretty much all of her time and attention was focused on making this man hers. She began to realize that the only thing in the way of them experiencing true love together was Dr. Beer's wife, Emily. Christiana knew that if she had any chance being with Dr. Beard, Emily Beard would need to be out of the picture. This never ends well. In September of 1870, Christiana finally hoped to have a lasting chance with Dr. Beard. She arrived at his house armed with a box of chocolates. This was a gift specially made for his wife, Emily. Now, Emily knew Christiana from her frequent and unexpected phone calls. She thought that the woman was kind, maybe a bit over-friendly, but she was polite and she accepted the neighbor's present. Little did Emily realize that the thoughtful neighbor had laced the chocolates with arson. Within minutes, Emily became painfully ill, uncontrollably vomiting and thrashing around like she was having a seizure. Remarkably, and to the dismay of the demented Christiana, the unsuspecting woman survived the poisoning. Now, of course, her husband, Dr. Beard, was immediately suspicious of Christiana, and he thought this was the cause of his wife's ailments. He thought, yeah, she definitely poisoned his wife. And he even called her out on this. He asked Christiana about this, but she said, no, that is not what happened. She even told Dr. Beard that she too had eaten the chocolates and grown sick. She said, why would I poison myself? Now, Dr. Beard was a smart man and did not fall for these lies. He was pretty familiar with her games by now, and he decided to cut off all ties with this woman, and he even forbid her from ever stepping foot on his property ever again, and from contacting himself or his wife, Emily, ever again. Now, Christiana was pretty afraid that Dr. Beard would press charges against her for the attempted murder, and she became increasingly paranoid. This is where the story gets so weird. She needed to find a way to erase any suspicion against herself. So what does she do? Well, in her mind, the clearest answer was to make more people sick from eating the chocolates. If the poisonings became a town epidemic, they would never be traced to her. They would be traced back to the local chocolate shop. 
not to her, a wealthy woman who rarely interacted with these members of the community, right? Hmm. So this lovesick woman really believed that if she could just frame the local shop owner for the poisonings, Dr. Beard might believe her and might believe that she was innocent. And then, of course, she might even have another chance with him. So she worked on her plan to clear her name. And she also found time to pursue Dr. Beardmore, against his consent, of course. She wrote him letters almost every single day. She delivered them in the mail to his office and his house. Of course, he would ignore the letters, which broke her heart even more. And it also made her more paranoid that she might have charges pressed against her for the attempted murder of Emily. So, of course, she just decides to write more letters. Christiana was convinced that her freedom was in danger, and she knew a possible arrest was looming. So she decided to go to work in framing John Maynard. This was the owner of Maynard's Chocolates, the shop where she got the chocolates from. She would purchase poison. It was a strychnine poison, which was a pesticide from a chemist. And she explained it saying, you know, I have a problem with all these stray cats and I want to poison them. Which is really harsh anyway. I don't know why the chemist thought that was okay, but it was good enough for the chemist. So she was able to buy the poison. She then bought large amounts of chocolates from Mr. Maynard, took them home, and then laced them with the pesticide. She would go back to the chocolate shop, and she told Mr. Maynard that she didn't like their taste. So then, Maynard resold the returned chocolates to his customers, who became quickly and violently ill. This trend continued for months and months, but Christiana became stealthier in her work. Rather than returning the chocolates, she exchanged them so that John Maynard would not stop doing business with her. She also began dropping pieces around town to be picked up and eaten by local passerbys. Because, I guess, she thought people would see them on the side of the road or something and eat them. Which I don't think anyone would do nowadays. Maybe times were different. I don't know. She would also hire local boys to buy chocolates for her. So that she wouldn't be visiting the chocolate shop an abnormal amount. She would also pay these desperate children to purchase the pesticide for her. And I guess the chemist just let them purchase the pesticide too, which seems weird, but okay. Still, none of her victims traced their illnesses to the chocolate. 
They likely believed that the candies had been consumed too recently to cause food poisoning. Frustrated, Christiana took matters into her own hands and marched to Maynard himself, claiming that she had fallen ill and accused him of poisoning her. So she then took the chocolates to the chemist. I don't know if this is the same chemist, but wow. Who then found traces of poison inside them. When the police did not seem to care about her findings, she became more enraged than ever and continued her quest to bring down the chocolates. In June of 1871, a mere seven months after she gifted Emily Beard a box of the poison candies, a family took a trip to the town of Brighton, England, and of course, they visited the local chocolate shop. Four-year-old Sydney Barker was delighted to indulge in a special treat. She ate a single piece of chocolate cream from Baynard's store. Right away, the toddler began to convulse. He vomited furiously until his death. And this was not even 30 minutes after he had consumed the last piece of candy. Now, someone had died from this, and it was a child. So, of course, the death shook the town to its core. This sweet, innocent boy did not simply get sick and die out of nowhere. There was clearly something more sinister at play. It was later found out that the child's uncle had also had the candy from the store and had fallen sick. So now the police started zeroing in on John Maynard's shop. The city called a coroner's office to determine the cause of his death. Of course, here's Christiana. She claimed to be a witness of the young boy's tragic demise. She took the stand, which was her chance to finally blame the candy shop once and for all, to people that were actually listening to her. On the witness stand, she claimed that she had fallen sick from eating candies at the shop. That, combined with the chemist's findings of the pesticides in the candies, was enough to rule the boy's cause of death as a poisoning. Still, the traces in the candy were so small that the police did not blame Maynard for the killing or strain of sicknesses. After all, he clearly had no idea there was anything in his chocolates. Luckily, Maynard was exonerated of blame, and he destroyed the entire stock of the chocolate cream candies he had. Of course, Christiana was enraged even more at this time. She was very upset with the outcome of the inquest. She was motivated by some sick need to frame the innocent shop owner, as if she had not done enough damage already. She wrote a series of anonymous letters to Sidney's bereaved father, begging him to sue Maynard for the death of his son. She insinuated that the letters, that the whole truth was not revealed in court. 
Sadly, she continued to poison victims through the summer. Her tactic of paying the young boys to purchase the candies kept her from being suspicion. The townspeople of Brighton felt helpless. They knew the person responsible for the poisonings was still on the loose. The police investigation seemed to be an utter failure. I mean, there was no leads, no clues, just a few anonymous letters that Sydney's father had turned into the police. During this time, Christiana refused to stop tormenting the Beard family. The couple by now was exhausted, paranoid, and probably even afraid for their lives. They decided to move from Brighton all the way to Scotland. Christiana was on a trip back to her hometown visiting family when she learned that the love of her life was moving to another country. She panicked right away and feared she would lose the last chance for love. So she, of course, bought a ticket on the next train to Brighton. Before she left, she stopped at another bakery and purchased multiple fruitcakes, which she poisoned. She was on the train, and then she arranged for the cakes to be delivered to several prominent people in Brighton including Emily Beard and herself. By this point, though, Emily Beard was wary of eating any food that was gifted to her, and rightfully so. So the fruitcake arrived on her doorstep, and the paranoid housewife arranged for her servants to try the cake first, just to make sure it wasn't poisoned. That seems... Harsh, but it only took them a few bites before they were overcome with sickness. Word spread of the poisoning, and it was revealed that Emily's neighbor, the head of the local paper, and Christiana were also sent poisonous fruitcakes. So, of course, Christiana decides to call the police about her poison cake. They arrived and she became quite hysterical. She cried to them and said, oh, she felt like she was being targeted and feared for her life and all this stuff. Poor me. She also would accuse the police of doing a poor job in their investigation. She told them, quote, I feel certain that you'll never find out who committed the poisonings. End quote. Wow. Well, she was not right about that. Christiana seemed to be thriving in the chaos and panic that she created. So what does she do? Well, she writes another love letter to her darling, Dr. Beard. In this letter, she wrote about her grave concern for his wife, Emily's safety. She also talked about the death of the four-year-old Sydney. The entire letter actually was obsessing about the poisoning. 
Dr. Beard thought this was the ravings of a crazy woman. His suspicions, though, were even stronger that Christiana had something to do with the poisoning of his wife. In fact, he even went to the police and said, you know, you need to check this out. So the police were able to match the handwriting in the love letters with the addresses on the deliveries of the poisoned fruitcakes. It was time to put an end to Christiana's terrifying poisoning spree. She would not get another chance to claim any victims. One week after the fruitcakes were delivered, Christiana Edmonds was arrested for the attempted murder of Mrs. Emily Beard. Shortly after her arrest, her charge was altered to include the murder of little Sidney Barker. In the courtroom, witnesses testified against Christiana. Her guilt was unquestionable. The chemist said that she purchased the poison from him under the name Mrs. Wood. But it was definitely Christiana, he said. A young boy claimed that this strange woman had paid him to deliver chocolates around the town. In a desperate attempt to keep her from the death penalty, which was an option, Christiana's defense pleaded insanity. Her own mother testified that mental illness had run in the family. She even said that Christiana had been diagnosed with hysteria in her early 20s, which was true. This seemed to be a promising defense, but it did not win over the jury. In 1872, Christiana Edmonds was sentenced to be hanged for her crimes. Upon hearing her fate, she would cry out that she was pregnant. Of course, this caused quite a stir in the courtroom. But upon examination by a doctor, it was proved that this was a false claim, and her sentence was to proceed as planned. Now, while she was in prison, Miss Edmonds was visited by a series of doctors, and they all reported that she was, quote, insane. According to Dr. William Orange, a medical superintendent from Broadmoor, a nearby prison hospital for the mentally ill, Edmonds suffered from, quote, confused and perverted feelings of a most marked insane character, end quote. He also said the woman was, quote, very vain, her clothing expensive, and hair and makeup over the top, even in prison, end quote. Because of the doctor's diagnoses, Christiana's sentence was reduced from the death penalty to life in the Broadmoor. Like her brother and father before her, Christiana would spend her last days in an insane asylum. The public was mostly outraged. They felt that this sick, murderous woman deserved the fate that the judge had decided for her. Nevertheless, Christiana arrived to her new home in 1872, and she was dressed in a lavish wig and a face full of makeup. At the Broadmoor, Christiana quickly built up a reputation 
as an overtly sexual and narcissistic woman who was always looking for attention. According to her doctors there, quote, her manner and expression were sexual and amatory, end quote. Now, any chance with Dr. Beard was shattered, of course. So Christiana began to turn her attention to the male doctors at the facility. I guess she had a type. She began to flirt with them relentlessly. Years went by and she never ceased to pursue new romantic prospects at the mental hospital. At the age of 78, nearly 40 years after her imprisonment, Christiana flirted with a doctor one last time. She asked the doctor how she was looking. The doctor responded fairly well. She would ask them if her eyebrows were all right. He replied that they were. That's when she said, quote, I think I am improving. I hope I shall be better in a fortnight. If so, I shall astonish them. I shall get up and dance. I was a Venus before, and I shall be a Venus again, end quote. Christiana Edmonds died nine months later. In spite of her lifelong quest for love, she died alone, detested by all who knew her. Her doctor stated the cause of her death was senile decay. I guess that's a term for natural causes of old age. While she may not have found true fairy tale love or any kind of love, the attention-starved woman certainly found notoriety. Her heinous actions live on today. In the stories of the deadly chocolates and the woman who poisoned them are told all over the world. In literature, documentaries, even ghost stories. Christiana Edmonds is one name that will live on in infamy just as the lovesick maniac would have wanted. This really was quite the story. It just makes no sense why she thought by killing more people, she would have a chance with this doctor. It really seems senseless too, that all these other people had to be sick and even a child had to die just because of her obsession with this doctor. It's a really sad case, but also a very interesting one. Thank you so much for joining me again on True Crime Works. I hope you enjoyed the Christiana Edmonds case, a.k.a. the Chocolate Cream Killer. If you could, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find the show. Also, subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. Remember to follow me on Instagram at True Crime Works. If you have any ideas for upcoming cases, you can either send me a message on Instagram or email me, truecrimeworks at gmail.com. I look forward to talking to you next week.